Hey guys, this is JD. Since 1989, World Mandate has grown from a small group meeting in a cafeteria at a retreat center to more than 8,000 people at Baylor's Ferrell Center. But our mission has always stayed the same. World Mandate is a conference focused on seeing this generation worship God and change the world. This year, we have an incredible opportunity to see that happen in not just one city, but 12. That's right, World Mandate is coming to you. We will have a live conference in Waco, Texas, but satellite locations in Baton Rouge, Boston, College Station, Dallas, Fort Collins, Houston, Norman, Omaha, Orlando, and Raleigh, North Carolina. And we have World Mandate West for all you West Coasters. Each satellite location will have live worship and conference staff available throughout the weekend, making sure that every site is having the exact same experience. Our heart is that we would be one conference in many locations. We're convinced this provides an incredible opportunity to see the conference impact thousands of more people with the simple reality that there's nothing better than seeing the name of Jesus lifted above all other names and encountering His heart for the nations of the earth. I hope you jump in with us at any of our 12 locations. It's going to be unforgettable. If you have any questions, as always, please email us at info at worldmandate.com. We look forward to seeing you in January. Hello, Antioch family. My name is Donnie Tapey, and I love being a part of this community. Uh, as we enter into January, just wanted to let you guys in on a few details of things that are going on in the life of our church. First up, our hope is that you find meaningful community here at Antioch. And one of the primary environments where that happens is in our life groups. Each week, life groups gather in homes all across Dallas. Life groups are starting back up the week of January 15th, and they are a great place to make friends, love one another, grow in your relationship with God, and be a part of Jesus' mission of making disciples in our city. Second, if you're new with us, we would love to invite you to our Welcome to the Family Dinner on January 29th. Uh, this is a great opportunity to meet new people, eat some great food, and learn more about our church. Third, at the end of the month, we are hosting our first ever missions conference called World Mandate. The conference will run from Friday evening and all day Saturday. The conference is a great kickstart to the year to focus on Jesus and His purposes in 2017. You can get more info and register at worldmandate.com. Now, there are only 150 tickets left, so don't delay. Act today. So bad. So bad. That's it. Those are this week's announcements. Love you guys, and I hope you guys enjoyed today's message. Man, it's great to be back with you guys. We uh, had a full kind of winter break. My wife and I, we went with our kids to see my parents and sister in Georgia. We were here the week of Christmas. Just we had a holiday on the holiday. Like we didn't do anything. That was new and a first for us. That was that was cool. And then we, we uh, did a Christmas with my in-laws, her parents, uh, brother-in-law, sister-in-law towards the end of uh, the break. Cowboys making the playoffs. That's good news. I've had my basketball coaching debut. We're 0-3, but we're headed in the right direction. So a lot of, a lot of things going on uh, with us. Today is a big day in the life of our church. If you've been tracking with us, 
Uh, we've been doing an initiative called That We May, where we're raising money for our new facility. That's so exciting. So our first giving day was October the 30th. Our second giving day was December the 4th. And then today is our third giving day toward this initiative. We're seeking to raise $150,000. And so the first, October the 30th, we raised $30,000. That's awesome. That's a lot of money. I mean, I was like, wow. Second giving day, December the 4th, we raised an additional $58,000. So we're at $88,000. That's amazing. Long way to go. But I was like, wow, that's a lot of money. But then we started a, kind of a, a prayer initiative. We realized we've got about $62,000 left. Uh, we need to call out to the Lord. And so we sent out an email on our email newsletter. If you're not signed up for our newsletter, amazing things happen on that thing. You can go to the website, sign up. I send out random GIFs. You'll laugh at those, I promise. Uh, but we just sent a thing out to our church newsletter. Hey, would you be willing to pray every day for the next 21 days that God would provide the rest of the money, right? And amazingly, we were shooting for 62 people to say yes. 70 of you guys stepped up to the plate to pray. Absolute blow away, way to go. And amazingly enough, I think we have it up here, in the 21 days of prayer from December the 18th to January the 8th, you can see $77,000 were given. Wow. <laughs> the generosity of God through his people, through the prayers of his people. I mean, I just, I've almost been in tears over the break just seeing the way that God is providing <clears throat> through our community. I said, we're coming to the giving day, the third giving day, and yet we've already we're at $165,000 raised. We were shooting for $150,000. I'm like, who has a giving day when you've already eclipsed the, what do you do? And here's the even bigger blow away. I said to a number of people, I said, here's where we are. So I guess we just celebrate on January the 8th. And most of them looked at me almost offended. And they said, well, I still, there's something that God's put in my heart to give, and I haven't given all of it yet. Can I still give into this thing. And you know, first person says that, and you're like, that's, that's cool. Like I, 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 no, this was like almost every person that I told this was like, I think God wants to do more. I want to be a part of doing more. So I was like, I guess we'll have the third giving day. And, and those of you that God's put something in your heart, far be it for me to hold you back from giving, but I'm just, I, I'm blown away. And I, I love this passage of scripture in second Corinthians eight, that when I read it, I think of y'all. I think of us because I've seen this in our midst. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church in Corinth, an ancient city. He's writing about another church in Macedonia. They're all raising money. They're doing an initiative, kind of their own thing, to supply for the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. Okay? And so he's writing to them, and he says, we want you to know, brothers, so this is Paul and his crew writing to the church at Corinth, we want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So he's writing to the Corinthians, talking about this church kind of in another state that they know of that's in this with them. And he says, I want you to hear about the grace of God at, at work in them. Verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed 
in a wealth of generosity on their part. So what's he saying? He's saying in the midst of poverty, things were hard for them. In the midst of affliction, the grace of God has overflowed. There's an abundance of joy. There's a wealth of generosity. So in the midst of really difficult circumstances, God is at work pouring out joy in the place of affliction, pouring out generosity in the midst of poverty. That's not things we normally see go together. And then in verse 3, he describes what happened. He said, for they, being the Macedonians, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Wow. So what's he saying? He's saying these Macedonians, they gave according to their means, but they also gave beyond their means. Why? It says not because they were manipulated, not because they were coerced, not because they just felt like it's the right thing to do. No, of their own accord, God put this thing in their hearts to do, to be generous and to sow into the work of God in their generation. And it says that they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So they're like, well, you know, we've taken the offering. No, 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 I want to give more. I want to be a part of what God is doing. And each time I've had someone say, no, 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 there's still more that God's called me to give. I want to do this. I've thought about this verse, and I've seen you guys living that out in our midst, and I'm just, I'm inspired. I'm awed at just the heart, the grace of God at work in our community of just saying, man, I want to be a part of what God's, that's why we call this that we may, not that we should or that we ought to do, but that we could be a part of what God wants to do in our city, and I'm I'm blown away at if God's provided this money and if God stirred up this desire in our midst, what's he going to do with it? What In this new place, what, what, man, I just have this holy anticipation for 2017 and 2018 and 2009. Like, just God, what are you up to in the best sense of that phrase? And so, If you're like, Zach, I haven't given, but I want to. God has put it in my heart. I want to be a part. I'm not going to stop you. I'm going to be amazed at you. If you've given and you say, I know there's just more that God's put in my heart to do. Again, blown away, amazed. You can do that. And I'm sharing this with you only because I had so much feedback that if I didn't do this, people were going to be like, no, that's not is, is you've got the, the giving box in the back where it says it's a joy to give to Jesus, his church, and his purposes on the earth. That should be like an eye test. We can see how good everyone's eyes is. If you can come up and read that, you're good. I have contacts. I cheat. Um, so you can give right there. If you've got a check today if you're, or cash, if you're like, man, the last time I saw a check or cash, I don't know when that was. You can give online. And uh, I'll tell you next week kind of the grand tally from the that we may. But can we just take just a moment to stop and realize like, wow, God has provided. Yes, thank you. You can come up, you preach. We should all have that child like, wow, thank you, Lord. So can we just, I don't know what you do in times like these. Like there's no manual for what is 
you do when God exceeds your expectation? I have no idea. Let's just clap. Let's just give God a, 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 some sort of clap. There you go. That's amazing. And I'm blown. I, I'm just, I'm in awe. So way to go. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. It's amazing. Absolutely uh, amazing. Where do you go from there? I don't know. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Like I said, over the break, we went and visited some family, uh, cowboys, kind of tracking with them for the playoffs, 0-3 coaching debut, but we did a little more than that. We, we decided, and I don't know if you've ever done this when you have a little time off, to declutter, to reorganize. Got some decluttering fans, professional organizer right there. She would uh, cheer. Thank you, Miss Holly. Right. We, we decided to, you know, you've got those things that just kind of collect. Americans, we're good at just collecting stuff. Like there's a whole industry uh, of storage units. When you don't have enough room in your house, you just, just to collect stuff, right? We just do it. It's just kind of how, who we are. And, and I don't know about you, but in our house, we collect stuff in the house, but the, the, one of the places that kind of catches all the stuff, you're like, oh, what do we do with this, is the garage, okay? I'll just, true confession here. Uh, our garage, you know, you start out, it's very organized, very orderly, and then over time, it's like, what do we do with this? Mm, I don't know. Let's, people are coming over. Let's just go put it in the garage. We'll, we'll figure it out later. Later takes a long time for later to come, right? So then after a while, you, you kind of open the garage, and you're just hoping to make it out alive, you know? You're trying to get that lawnmower out, and you're, you're climbing over things, and, or the Christmas decorations, like, you know, good luck where I put those last year. I mean, you just, it's kind of like an expedition. It's like you're Indiana Jones, and you're like going in like the Temple of Doom, and you're hoping to come out with that thing. Oh, you guys can laugh. You know that's true. If you have a garage, you, I've been to your house, you know that's true, right? So this Christmas, you're like, let's, let's tackle some of these things. My wife is a very organized person, and so she kind of led the charge, and let's, let's get this stuff cleaned out. And <clears throat> myself, the kids, we're a little bit like overwhelmed at the beginning, like, oh, yeah. But then once it gets going and, you, and it gets done, you're like, I, lo I love margin. I love just space. I, love, I, I can go in the garage, and I, I'm not terrified. I, I can, you know. And so yesterday, she said, hey, can you go put this thing in the garage? I forgot that we cleaned it out and organized it. So I'm going back there, and I'm expecting just kind of, how is this going to fit in there? And I open up the garage door, and I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. There's, like, space in here. And then you, there's a place to put things, and everything has a place, right? And, oh, that's nice. And we just all, we, we like Margin, right? We may not be good at living with margin, but we like margin. In fact, true confession, I'm almost obsessed with, with websites or blogs that have good spacing in them. Like the typography and the edges, I, if, it's, if it's good, I can just sit and kind of gaze longingly at it. I know that's weird, but there's a whole industry devoted to this. I just, it's, it's margin, right? <sighs> so good. In this kind of opening season of our church, just January, one of the, the phrases or, or the themes that we felt like God was emphasizing was for us, not just for a garage 
or a website, they're like, man, that's cool. But just in our personal lives, embracing margin, creating space, having room to breathe. Can we get, can we get it on cue? Can we get a whoa? Oh, she's not with me anymore. Just, man, space, right? And with that space, the amazing thing about margin is that when we have margin, then there's also room and strength for mission. What's mission? Mission is that thing that just God's called you to do. That thing that burns like a fire in your bones, that thing that's greater than you, that's a part of his kingdom and his work, right? If you have all margin and no mission, life is a little, well, empty. Like if my garage had nothing in it, I'd be like, what's the point of this space? What's the point of having a garage if there's like nothing in it? If our lives just have all margin and no mission, we get soft, we get discouraged, we get edgy, we just like, we get apathetic, right? But if you're all mission and no margin, you just get burnt out. Like you get angry at life and and just, just edgy and you're like the car whose RPMs are going too fast and you're going to blow something up in there, right? We need to be a people that embrace both margin and mission. They go together like macaroni and cheese. I mean, think about it. If, there, if you went to a cafeteria or you went to your grandmother's house and there was just a bowl of macaroni noodles, doubtful you'll take it. Just dry macaroni noodles, not a whole lot of demand for that. Not that many people just eat raw blocks of cheese. Just, hey, give me a thing of Velveeta, and I'm just going to sit over here and eat it while I watch the Cowboys game. Doubtful. Maybe some of you, if you do, if you're a cheese lover like that, talk to me. I'd love to learn. But just most of us, you know, that's not the way we roll. But you put macaroni and cheese together, right, you have an amazing combination. You have a I'll take seconds of that macaroni and cheese. You have kids kind of working their way around the line at Christmas to get in there to get more macaroni and cheese before their parents realize how much they've taken, right? It's kind of like margin and mission. You need them both, and together, man, really good things happen. So the first week of this kind of season, we recorded a teaching on rest and embracing margin through rest. We, it's on our podcast. I'd encourage you to listen to it. And we saw how the gospel, how Jesus actually calls us to rest and gives us the power to do that. So if you're coming into the new year and you're like, man, margin through rest, yes, please sign me up. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. Today, we're going to talk about margin in our time. Next week, we're going to talk about margin in our emotions. And the, the 22nd, we're going to talk about margin in our finances. And lastly, we're going to end with World Mandate, where we focus a little more on the mission that makes the margin rich and not empty, right? So that's what we're going to go through. And we're going to use this scripture. We're going to look at this scripture. We're going to learn from this scripture, talking about time and the way that we spend the time that we have. So Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus speaking. And he says this, Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. 
So we're going to take this scripture, we're going to focus on it for the next, I don't know, uh, 15, 20 minutes together, and then we're going to spend the last five minutes of our time, I'm actually cut my sermon short, you're like, that's a New Year tradition, cut it short, and we're going to cut it short to take five minutes together with kind of some piano music playing in the background just to focus on this verse. We're going to create and practice margin together and let God speak to us. So look at this first 15 or so minutes. It's like a devotional helping us wrap our brains and our hearts around this verse. And then we're going to let what does God have for each of us speak through this in uh, about 15 minutes. So let's start. So the context of this scripture, context is really important when you're talking about the scripture, when you're talking about any type of communication. If you don't have something within context, it's really easy to miss the point, to miss the power, to miss like why was this being said. So it's important with this passage of scripture, one of the key teachings of Jesus, that we realize the context in which it came. We're not just isolating it, putting it up on a screensaver, and then be like, well, what do you think it means? We're going to look at, wait, who is he speaking this to, and what's going on? So Jesus is speaking this to his disciples. He's speaking this to a group of people who, at one point in their life, defined themselves by their career. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors, defined themselves by their politics. They were part of this party or that party, defined themselves by their ethnic group, where they were from, where they grew up. This is, I'm from Texas, and we're, you know, the best. We're the state that's a country, and everyone should be like us. Like, people that were like that, and yet they meet Jesus They see Jesus, they interact with Jesus, and there's something about Jesus that they're like, I want to follow you. What I want to spend my time on is following you. There's something about you that just, ah, you're amazing. And so they have have become followers of Jesus. They've become disciples. They're following him. That's the first attribute of a disciple. Second attribute of a disciple is they have a desire to be shaped by Jesus. So they're like, man, you are amazing. We want to be with you, and we want to be shaped by you. So Jesus is investing in them, is teaching them, is training them, and their lives are being transformed by who he is, And how good and generous and wise and just and fill in the adjectives that Jesus is, their lives are being transformed. Not in minor ways, although the progress might be slower than they desire, but in significant life-altering, generations-altering, nations-altering, history-altering ways. So interestingly enough, as a tangent... The Knights Templar, for all my conspiracy theorists out here, a little hat tip to you, were a group of knights that were commissioned during the Crusades to protect uh, pilgrims traveling to Jerusalem. And they would baptize these knights. And the interesting thing about the knights, when they would baptize them, they'd baptize everything except they would leave their hand held to their sword outside of the water. So everything else will be submerged except this hand and this sword saying, Jesus, you can have these parts of me, but what I do on the battlefield, what I do in my work, I'm not bringing that under your influence. Now, these disciples here, what are saying is, I'm not holding anything back. 
I'm not leaving my sword. I'm not leaving my profession. I'm not leaving my iPhone. I'm not leaving my bank account. I'm not leaving this relationship or that relationship outside of the waters of baptism. But Jesus, I want to be changed wholeheartedly by you. That's what a disciple is. Third attribute of a disciple is that they want to go where Jesus is going and do what Jesus is doing. So when you read through the Gospels, the disciples following Jesus is not just kind of a metaphor, but it's actually they wake up in the morning, Jesus, where are we going? Well, we're going over to this place, and we're going to be healing people today. So the disciples literally, okay, I guess we're going to Capernaum now. We're going to pray for the sick. That's what we're going to do, right? Disciples want to be a part. Jesus, where are you going and what are you doing? And it wasn't like, well, I was like that when I was 15, or I did that when I was 19, or I did that when I was 29, or 39, or 49, or 59, or 69, or 79, or 89, or 99. No, from the youngest to the oldest, whatever age you find yourself, to be a disciple means you're on the move. means that you realize Jesus is still on the move to seek and to save, to redeem and restore. And there's something in your heart. It's like, I want to go where he's going. I want to do what he's doing. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's who Jesus is speaking to in this passage, the context of what's going on here. Now, what I love is that, again, when I look at y'all, I see people like this. I love that I'm standing up here and I'm preaching to the choir. I'm not preaching to people, convincing them, you should be a disciple. I'm preaching to a community where I see these marks in so many of your lives on such a consistent basis. It's just an honor to be among you. I see people who have just a hunger. Jesus, I want to be with you. Jesus, I don't want to hold things back. I want to let you shape me. Jesus, I want to go where you're going, do what you're doing. Man, love you guys. That's who he's speaking to here, right? That's who he's talking to. Second context that's important for us to remember is this teaching isn't isolated, but it falls in line with a larger story, a larger message, a larger narrative that the scriptures contain. If you pull this teaching alone, you can get into some really weird places, and many people in church history have done that, but you need to realize this teaching comes within the larger story of the gospel. So what Jesus is saying here is not, hey, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and come after me. And so if you want to be godly, here's a whole list of things to do. No, everyone here gathered around him in this context didn't choose Jesus first. Jesus chose them. They didn't love Jesus first. Jesus loved them first. They didn't do X, Y, or Z. They didn't pick up their cross in order to receive the grace of God. They didn't deny themselves in order to get more of like, man, God, if you would just say I'm okay. No. They were part of Jesus came for them. Jesus loved them first. Jesus called them first. This is part of that larger narrative of the gospel. Second thing that when we think about that, we remember is in the gospel, we remember that Jesus is enough. So they're not using this, embrace the cross, to get to something that I really want, but they're remembering, no, Jesus is the big deal. 
He is the one that makes life go. He is the bread of life, they would say. He is the true vine. He is the light. He is the resurrection. All these metaphors to describe man. Jesus is treasure, right? Jesus' coming was not primarily to give people treasure, although God does bless people, but primarily to be our treasure. Think about that. It wasn't primarily Jesus, okay, I'm going to go your way in order to get that girl that I want or to get that promotion or to get this circumstance. No, Jesus is the big gift. He's enough. He's more than enough. You guys don't seem convinced, so I'm going to have to preach a little bit here in the new year. Jesus is the treasure that's more than enough. He's the treasure that outsurpasses all those other little minor lowercase t's that we get lost and hang our hopes on. And Jesus is like, I am way more than any of those things. I'm more than enough. Jesus is our treasure, and he's enough that what he did on the cross and in the resurrection is enough. You don't need Jesus plus a certain amount in your bank account. You don't need Jesus plus a certain car that you drive. You don't need Jesus plus a certain degree. You don't need Jesus plus a certain relationship. You don't need Jesus plus a certain status symbol or all these other things that we seek to add on. Remembering the gospel story is Jesus is enough. He's more than enough. And that in him, you're enough. You're enough. God is not, um, let me just give you one more thing to do. If you could do one more thing, then you would arrive. If you could do one more thing, man, that would be it. That's not how he is. Like sometimes when I'm with my kids, not always, I have my moments that are not glory moments, but sometimes I just, I get overwhelmed with affection and pride and joy in my kids. Most of the time it's around bedtime, uh, but, but that's, that's for another day. But sometimes I just feel like my heart is going to explode. And if I'm an earthly father with those type of feelings, your heavenly father looks at you in Christ and is just moved. In fact, one of the things the Bible says that he sings over us. Someday I'm going to sing over you. It won't be pretty sounding, but you'll remember that. It's just like, oh, this is how God feels about me. Okay, we have to remember that to really be able to receive this teaching. You miss any of those things that I said, you're going to get into some weird places. But if you've got those things, well, we're looking good. Okay? So here's what he says. So he said to this group of his disciples, he said, if anyone would come after me. So let's start there. Jesus starts when he's talking about time, when he's talking about people that want to be with him. He says, if anyone would come after me. He speaks to our there and our longing. If anyone would be with me, if anyone wants to be near me, if anyone longs for this, if this is what you long for, think about the significance of that, that Jesus does not start with a political view. I had uh, someone who's a member of our church now, didn't grow up in church. When they first came, they thought, I thought church was going to be like a right-wing Republican political rally. And it's not anything like that. And whether your views are on the right or on the left or in the center, whatever it is, notice that Jesus doesn't start with, here's the political agenda that we need to go and do. No, he starts with, if anyone longs to be with me, if anyone would come after me. Jesus doesn't start with, uh, with morality. 
If anyone wants to be a good person, I used to think that Christianity and Jesus was all about the morals. Like that it was just like forgive people, be kind. Jesus doesn't start there. That's very real fruit, but that's not the root. What does he start with? If anyone would come after me. He doesn't go into initially, if anyone would seek to change the world, if anyone would seek to, your issue is this injustice or this group that needs to be reached or this cause for the poor. He doesn't start there. Again, very real fruit. We're doing a missions conference. The theme is change the world. I'm going, I'm going I'm to talk to you about it next week. Amazing. But ultimately, you realize to be a disciple is not to say, I'm going to change the world, but I am a witness of the one who has come, who through his incarnation, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, has changed the world. And we're witnesses, right? So Jesus doesn't start with, hey, let's go change the world. No, he says, if anyone would come after me, he speaks to our longing. He speaks to a group of people who have left home and job and family to follow, who are longing for him. And he says, if that's your desire, here's what you do. And I want to speak to your desire. Because when I look in this room, I see a group of people who are hungry to be with Jesus. You're not a part of this community because you really like our facility. You're not... A- <laughs> You're not a part of this community because we're the most organized or I wear the coolest sweaters or anything like that, right? You're here. Maybe you feel like you're at the beginning of the beginning. Maybe you feel like you're a little further down the road, but there's something about Jesus that's gripped you. And when you're looking at 2017, there's something in you that's like, yeah, I've got some goals and some things, but man, I want this year to be about Jesus. Seasons may change. Presidents may change. Hairlines may change, but this thing remains the same. Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to come after you. That's what defines our community. That's what defines our church. Like, we may, all these other things can change. That's the one thing that's not changing. And that's where he starts. Then he says, if that's you, Let him deny himself and take up his cross. Now think about this. What's he saying? He's saying, if you have this longing, this this mission, this thing burns in your heart, you're going to have to let go of some things that you're carrying in order to embrace what you're looking for. To embrace the cross meant they were going to have to, and you and I are going to have to let go of our pride because the cross requires humility. To embrace the cross and to make that their best yes, they were going to have to say no to a thousand other choose-your-own-adventure stories. To embrace the cross, they were going to have to say no and let go of, clean out, move those old mattresses out of the garage, so to speak, of the bitterness that they've been holding on to. Or to get more personal, the self-pity attitude that I can so easily have. Uh, you know, I couldn't be a professional basketball player, but if there ever was a league for a professional self-pity player, I think I can make it, right? But to embrace the cross, you know what? 
I have to realize, man, that section of my garage, I've been carrying those mattresses for a while. They're not going to, I'm, I'm going to have to let go of them to create some space to receive what we're going to get to in the back half of this verse. To embrace the cross to deny yourself, it was like I'm emptying things that I've held on to, that I've carried, that I've just done in order to, latter half of the verse, follow me. So to a group of people, they're saying, Jesus, we want to be where you are. Jesus says, I want you to be where I am. Come and follow me. Come and be with me. Come and be transformed by me. Come and be a part of what I'm doing. Go where I'm going. But you're not going to be able to carry all of that stuff that you've been holding on to. You're going to have to get some margin in your time. You're going to have to get some margin in your priorities. You're going to have to get some margin in the way that you just spend the strength of your life to be able to receive the treasure of following me, the best thing. So you're going to have to put some stuff down. And again, I love that I'm speaking to a community who inspire me in so many ways who are already doing that. I love that, that I'm preaching to the choir. When we do this giving campaign, I know that many of you gave according to your means, and there were many other places that that money could have gone. And I know that many of you gave beyond your means. And again, there are many places that could have gone, but there's something in your heart that's saying, Jesus, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to be with you. I want to be shaped by you. I'm willing to embrace the cross, embrace sacrifice. Our life group leaders, I'm just blown away by the amount of time and heart and care that you spend, prayer, leadership, that you spend not just one week here and one week there, but week after week after week taking up the cross, saying no to a thousand other things in order to make your best yes to Jesus and what he's doing to our kids' ministry leaders. I know that showing up and investing in the kids is not always the top priority on Sunday morning, but there's something deeper in you that says, I want to be a part of what Jesus is doing. And so you live this out. And I love that. I'm so privileged to be among you. And I just have this sense, again, the holy expectation that as we go into 2017, that there are areas where Jesus is speaking, hey, this attitude, this way of doing things, this hope needs to be laid down in order to be able to receive what I want to give you. I want to read you a testimony from one of our life group leaders who, who uh, shared how this worked in her life, and I'm just going to read it to you. She said, a couple of years ago, I had been in a season of dryness and disengagement with the Lord that had lasted for at least a year. I found myself filling up every minute of my time because I was trying to escape the empty feeling I had. Before I even got out of bed, I would turn on various types of media because I was uncomfortable with silence. If I didn't have anything to do, even for just 15 minutes, I would watch a TV show or something like that. I felt like from the minute I would wake up in the morning to the minute I fell asleep at night that I just needed to be stimulated by media. And then one day, I started noticing how the music, the TV, the movies, the social media, all of these things, they were affecting my perspective on life. 
It was influencing the way I thought about myself, the way I thought about other people, and how I thought life was supposed to work. I got to the point where I was on overload. I had no rest from this constant stream of input. So I decided to fast from media. I didn't set a time frame for this fast, but just had the intention of doing it until I didn't feel the need to turn on the media all the time just to fill up the silent places. It ended up being two weeks, a fast of two weeks. In that time period, there was so much mental clarity that came. I wasn't constantly in this brain fog. Instead of listening to music or taking in media in the moments of waiting, I would sit in silence, which led me to talk with God. Before this, I had known that Scripture said God always wants to talk with you, but I felt like I never heard him. I realized that's because I was giving him like two and a half seconds to speak before I filled my attention with other things. It was in the waiting that he actually spoke. The waiting for a friend to show up for dinner. The waiting before a work meeting. The drive to the gym. The cooking dinner. The folding laundry. It was in all of these moments where instead of needing to be entertained, I reoriented my attention to just sit and talk with Jesus about anything and everything. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. All those things we all want, like identity, affirmation, purpose, direction, they all started to unfurl in my life. Not because I did something to earn it, but simply because there was space in my heart for him to show up and do it. I didn't realize till I did this how much the voice of the enemy hides in media and how it changes the filter we perceive life through. After the fast, I didn't want to fill my time with junk. Once you taste and see how good it is to connect with God, you lose your appetite for the cheaper things. After typing all of that, it makes me want to do this fast again. Wow. All right. Hopefully you get a picture of that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take five minutes now to create some margin. We're going to have that main scripture that we've been studying up on the screen behind me. We have some music playing. And, and we're just going to contemplate, think, meditate. Just create some space. Just imagine my garage being cleaned out and there's just some space. We're going to take some space right now. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. God, what are the things that I'm carrying that you're saying, hey, there's more for you that I want to give to you, but you're going to have to lay some things down. And I just want to speak to one particular group of people. The first time you hear this teaching, there's a sense of anticipation and excitement. Some of you, though, I realize are in the place of having laid some things down, and it's hard, and it's painful, and some of you have had life cause you to lay some things down that you don't feel like you get a choice in. Like, it, it feels good to have a choice. I can turn the media off. That's very good. That's something I want to do this January. But there's others of us through a season of life or through a relationship or through a circumstance where it feels like, whoa, the cross just got forced on me. We went fishing this Christmas, and uh, we were catching some catfish, and my son would go, and he would, he would get them and cat, take them off the hook. And I was amazed because, you know, catfish have those little barbs that will, like, sting you. And afterwards, I was like, Eli, I was, like, so impressed that you knew how to, like, get the catfish off the hook without getting stung by those things. And he was like, what? 
those things would sting you? <laughs> right? Hey, some of us have, have felt the sting of the cross. And I just want to speak a word of encouragement to you today that Jesus is still enough, that it's worth it. And I want to encourage you not to tear up in unbelief what you planted in faith. Because as you embrace the cross, you get the promise of being with him. The thing that's better and longer lasting, the one that's worthy of it all. And I pray that as we take this time to look at the scripture, the Holy Spirit breathes fresh courage, fresh endurance, fresh hope, fresh faith into you for the journey that you're in right now. So let's look to the screen behind us and we're gonna take five minutes just to reflect on the word of God to us.
Um, or you can remain seated. And we're going to sing one more song and just declare God's love and um, as we build our life upon Him, the one who is worthy, the one who is enough. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. 